Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan recording March 23rd, 2021. Thank you for listening in. So before I get into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find it on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those sites if you want some good old podcasting. (laughs) So definitely we'll have a lot of video game stuff to talk about for this episode, including a new Life is Strange game. 3DS turning 10 at the end of the week. Also talk about some college basketball, uh, the issues with Deshaun Watson, TV stuff, with, again, the Cuomo's, and talk about the weekend box office, especially considering that Los Angeles has opened up its movie theaters a little bit. So, sign of hopefully some good things to come. If not, it might be still be a little while before things can be where every movie theater opens, I guess. <laughs> so, jumping into what is basically a mishmash of just all this scandal stuff that's going on. You know, of course, you know, more with the, uh, with the Cuomo's again, you know, being in New York, and having to hear these stories, just it just keeps piling on and on and on. I think I think like the current aide of Andrew Cuomo opened up about harassment and just and there was something earlier I think in might have been might have been not too long ago either yesterday or something or. Or something, I, I don't know. But, he said something along the lines of, where was it? It was on, like, uh, what, where was it? Shoot, where was it? I'm trying to find it, but... He basically said, and this was said on like Fox News and several other places, that he ain't going anywhere. And he called, I guess, a female reporter, darling, and that's that's a that's a bit tone deaf. Like that, that like that's really tone deaf, given how serious the situation is with all this, and more calls about how abusive he was, and there was something where. Uh, I guess there was someone that was supporting uh, Cynthia Nixon, the Sex and the City actress. She actually tried running for governor, I think it was a couple of years ago. And to Cuomo, this is a critic that he didn't care for, and he... I forget where, where, where the what website talked about it, but basically along the lines, he was going to threaten to call the guy a child rapist. And I think people would have taken that very seriously and made the critic look real bad because nobody would ever, no one would ever think that 
good old Cuomo is going to lie. But this also ties into the the ratings issue with uh, his brother Chris. And according to like the list.com and several other several other sites the the ratings have dipped a bit. Now, some of it has dipped in recent memory in the last few months because you know, the, it's not all Trump this, Trump that at CNN. Obviously, the ratings are going to take a hit a little bit. That's to be expected, probably. But no talk about about his brother. And I guess there was like a there was like a ban back in 2013. I'm going to assume this was when Chris joined CNN and got his show. I, I can only assume where he couldn't talk about his brother and they lifted that during the start of the pandemic which by the way last week what turned one it's been a year since at least here in New York it where where I come where I come from it it's been an interesting you know year calendar year altogether of all this weird stuff going on lots of shutdown places and trying to get like trying to get a bit of toilet paper just because running out and had to get like a 12 pack and, and they limit and they were limiting you to only like one set which makes sense which made sense now a year later I'm seeing like air fresheners or, or disinfectant sprays they're probably more prepped for it now compared to where we were when this whole thing started but anyway, back to uh, back to Cuomo, or Chris Chris Cuomo to be exact. So he was so he interviewed his brother, and it was basically just like a light-hearted stuff that that was huge for CNN. And now, with all the stuff coming to light of people saying how abusive Andrew is, and the the groping, the touching, the sexual assaults, or, or harassment, whatever. Uh, not, he can't. He can't talk about it again. And, you know, I think I've said this a couple weeks ago. Like it just tells you the standards of CNN's journalism, and that is ratings have dipped quite a bit to almost near a million people well just a little bit above a million people I don't know if CNN is protecting Cuomo or if Cuomo doesn't want to talk about stuff that might have occurred because who knows if there's any stories that he might have who knows if he might get investigated I'm just putting up a hypothetical what if he were to be investigated because I'm sure there's been stuff prior to being on being on CNN that he's probably aware of and probably does not want to have the skeletons come out of his closet. It's, it, it creates an interesting scenario, and I'm sure CNN as a whole just their journalism is just down the down the freaking toilet. And, and as I said, it just it. It's the, it's almost like there is a double standard that oh it's bad with certain people but nope not when it's Cuomo 
I'm sure probably for some other people too. You know, and the the fear that people have of reporting stuff and what if what if I say something potential potential gaslighting, potential called a liar and saying that what you're saying isn't the truth, which is something I think actual victims which is something actual victims probably have to deal with because what if what if something happens or what if what if the what if what if what if I'm telling the truth but they don't believe it or what happens if I tell the truth? Is someone gonna come after me for that? And that, I think that's something with Cuomo that's been a huge issue, I think. And the fact that he still refuses to step down, I mean I, I I think you have to um, I think you have to try the impeachment I think or or at the very least make him aware of his oblivious standards and being tone deaf about how stuff like Me Too is and it's just a shame. Really a huge shame, and just the the fucking double standards that occur completely, completely ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure if it's not, if there's no impeachment, then I'm sure they'll get like some big detectives. I guess like W H A M. I guess they're opting. I guess New York Assembly opting for an investigation. I think they want everything. They want to look at everything because who knows what other stuff the Cuomo family has done over the years. I don't know. So, the the Sean Watson thing. So, this is interesting because I think this has to do with... I would say it has to do with a lot of people, a lot of women opening up about some bad things that have happened, I guess. So, if I... So if I remember, this was like a week ago, I think. The Atlanta shooting at a at a spa, and I believe. Let's see where it is. Yeah, it was like six. Like it was like it wasn't like six six shooting not six shooting six deaths that happened I think at a at a spot and definitely it was at certain people and just it, and that's why I think the whole thing with the stop Asian hate thing has occurred. Okay, now everything has to be stop Asian hate. Um, shouldn't we have always been? about stopping Asian hate? Shouldn't we be... Shouldn't we have been doing that for a long time? Is this going to be some hashtag and trend that's going to last a fucking month and be completely forgotten until another incident happens? That's why I don't take these movement shit seriously. Because people are going to forget it. Is should we be stopping Asian hate? Absolutely, because there's something exotic about Asian culture. 
there's something cool about it. You know, it's it's something fascinating with, you know, these various countries around Asia, whether it's, you know, the Koreas, Japan, China, Singapore, and all these other places, Vietnam, Thailand. And it's just, you know, you think about the cultures, and like what they do, what what they like, don't like. You know, I think a little bit with... Uh, with uh, uh, senior year high school back in 2009. So the thing with high schools is you have a foreign exchange student come to your school. Pretty cool. Uh, you know, my late sister actually, uh, she she actually went to Denmark for a year, uh, like foreign exchange stuff. And, you know, that was, that was like one of, probably one of the great things she ever did in her in her life, you know, going to, you know, going to Europe and being part of Danish culture for a year and understanding, you know, what they do, what they like, don't like. And I'm sure the same thing applied to, you know, in my senior class of uh, our, our foreign exchange student, she came from Japan. Yeah, she... Friendly person, you know, maybe a little short for for height, but you know, nice nice girl. And from what I can remember, I don't I don't remember any hate being stemmed towards her or any or any form of mockery or anything like that. You know, maybe maybe just where I am, maybe it's, there's a lot more tolerance towards specific people, specific ethnicities, and all that. So. I hope this isn't one of those trend things that that people forget about because people are very forgetful now these days with stop Asian hate and like like do, and I also would ask do do you really believe in stopping Asian hate or is it something to fit in to otherwise you'll be ostracized because it, it, it's difficult to stop to stop hate, and there's also, like, the push for, like, a little more diversity with getting, like, Asians in films, I think there was, like, a big push for guys like, say, I don't know, like, John Cho, for example, who's been in films like Harold and Kumar and the American Pie films, uh, Star Trek, and recently, I think he finished wrapping up production for uh, Cowboy Bebop, which is one of the bigger animes that I can think of. So, I mean, I think people want to see this stuff, but there's also this, like, xenophobia. You know, people... And there was, a, like, something I read about... It was, like, on a forum, actually, where I guess, like, Asian Americans or Asians in general, I don't know, they get... They, they are, like, victims of hate crime a lot more than, like, Hispanics and black people. I don't know if that's true or not, but I could but I could see a case for that. Because there's jealousy, and probably a number of them being successful and doing inventive things. Especially when you look at, like, the technology over in places like Japan. Yeah, but, so, but I, ultimately what I'll say is... We should be trying to stop the hate of stop Asian hate all the time, not 
not when some incident occurs and people use it as a fucking hashtag for a couple weeks and call it a day after after stuff happens. And then probably you hear another incident, probably they'll be doing the same thing and then forget about it. It's a it's an endless cycle. So going off on that tangent, uh, so what so what am I talking about with Deshaun Watson? So probably in light of that shooting, there have been a number of masseuses that have opened up in the last couple weeks about him being inappropriate. I think there was some stuff about being coercing coercing, uh, women to having sex with him, oral sex, uh, wanting... This was like... This was like an article from ESPN, by the way, and I'm sure there's multiple other places, like I think like the Spun, and like like it's it's big for a reason. It's wanting wanting women to touch his penis, and a number of this stuff is not from years from like five years ago or anything like that. This is stuff from like over the last year. I believe the report is 24 women have filed a lawsuit. That's a lot of people. And it tarnishes the image of Watson. There's 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 like an according to like ESPN a sexual assault this month which I don't know if there's like a issue with Deshaun Watson or anything like that. It's gotten to the point where Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney, who coached Watson, has spoken out about this and being disappointed. I'm sure he doesn't want to speak much about it, but he there was some stuff about him being like a nice guy. I believe he got a got a home courtesy of work done. You know, like the humanitarian philanthropist type of guy. And I'm sure that's something probably Watson envisioned himself as, and just, I don't ever remember there being any major incident that he got in trouble with, or, or anything that, you know, he got in trouble with the law, or, I don't remember anything, if I'm being honest, I can't remember if there was ever a bad incident, but, Whatever the case now, I mean, it tarnishes his legacy, whether he whether he's innocent or guilty, because there will be something there'll be something lingering in his mind on whether he on whether he committed this crime or not. Now, twenty four people—that's a lot. So I don't know if there's just emotional issues that he has had. Obviously, twenty twenty was not a good year for the Texans. Obviously, it wasn't a good year altogether with Watson, despite having a really strong passing year. I think a lot of it has to do with like his political stances and how he felt about how the Texans were in dealing with hatred and racism. So some people could look at it as, okay, maybe this is a setup by the Texans to make him out to look like a bad guy. Basically, finding dirt on him. Which wouldn't be the first time you hear something like that if that were to be true. 
back in 1990, George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, the New York Yankees of baseball, was banned for life after trying to get dirt on Dave Winfield. Now, Winfield and Steinbrenner didn't exactly have a good repertoire in the 10 years that Winfield spent with the team. And Steinbrenner had some really harsh criticisms of the guy. And the fact that it got that bad, I mean, led to uh, a ban for life, although that got lifted after 92, I think, after the 92 season. So he came back, and so Steinbrenner came back in '93, and obviously mellowed out a little bit. And you look at where the Yankees are now; they've done extremely well, and since '93, have not had a losing season. But yeah, this could be something similar to what's going on with Watson. It in it could potentially, but whether that's true or not, I do not know. But you can't rule it out. Or maybe women are opening up similar to to what's going on with Cuomo and opening up because of what happened at that shooting in Atlanta. Maybe people open up about bad things that happened at massage places, spas. Because, I mean... You don't know what goes on behind the scenes at places like these. It it probably grosses masseuses out about certain things when it comes to giving people massages and just easing the... T- I'm sure Watson was using spas and mas- massages as a way to relieve a lot of stress, if I had to guess. But still, you don't know what's going on and could be a smear thing that, that happened or this stuff really happened and and women, and women were afraid to speak out because of how big of a name Deshaun Watson is. I mean, he's like he's one of the big names of the NFL and one of the big young names for the league as well. So, I mean, as far as where his future goes, I mean, he still doesn't want to play for the Texans. And teams are willing to to trade. But, are these teams willing to continue to do so? Are they willing to ignore the controversies for a little bit and, and give him, and get him to go to their team? That's... That's a question left said for another day, unfortunately, I think. Because there's still a lot up in the air about what can happen to him. So, don't know what else really to say. Let things go in motion, I guess. And speaking of the NFL, the league has done a brand new deal with... Disney, Fox, CBS, and NBC Universal. So all four networks are still going to air football. But the big thing now is Amazon. So this is so these are deals that are going for for 11 years. Amazon will have exclusive rights to Thursday night football. 
Thursday night football has been probably one of the bigger issues for uh, for the for the league in that it's went on to multiple networks over the years. If I remember, it was NFL Network a number of times for, for like six, seven years. CBS had it for like three years. NBC had it for like two. Fox had it, I think, the last three years, I believe. So now Amazon will be the only group. And it tells you something about where the NFL could be transitioning to an era where streaming could go, could be the future of, uh, of, of, of football watching. And just about all these networks have a, uh, have a streaming service. Disney could easily do that with ESPN plus and NBC with Peacock. You got CBS with Paramount plus. I mean, this stuff is pretty, pretty obvious. If, if you want my take on it and, uh, where is it? I, I swear I saw. I believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. It was Mashable.com, and yeah, 113 billion in total is what it's worth. So, where is it? Nine billion per year through uh, 2033. I believe they shelled out one billion per yep yeah, one billion per year for uh, for Amazon to have Thursday night football exclusively. I actually wonder if they'll do anything like uh, what they did with the Bears Saints game, and CBS could put it on Nickelodeon. I, I think it'd be an interesting experiment, but to continue with, but. Trying to f- Tubi, that's interesting. That's that's a Fox streaming service, <laughs> but I wonder if that would mesh together with what Disney has with uh, ESPN Plus. But yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, I heard something about I think like ABC is in the in the running now to have Super Bowls on TV again. They haven't had that since oh since the O five season. That ended with uh, Super Bowl Forty uh, between the Seahawks and and Steelers. So some people might wonder, well, what's the big deal with the streaming? Like, what about the deal with ESPN? Well, ESPN they've struggled, and it's not a huge surprise why ESPN has had it rough over the last. And there was someone, Rich Greenfield from Lightshed, put out a tweet about the losses of subscribers. And, and cable is unfortunately a a, a dead dead place. Unfortunately, you know, when you think about it, it's not, it's not just ESPN. It's it's multiple other places too. I mean, you look at you look at Viacom, and their channels are just about the same. You know, you see Two and a Half Men on Paramount Network. 
Oh, it's on TV Land later tonight. Oh, Martin's on VH1. Oh, it's on BET. Like, like a lot of their stuff, or they binge marathon airings of ridiculousness on MTV, or ten-hour marathons of The Office on Comedy Central. Like, there's people. People do grow tired of these. Uh, of these of these channels. I'm sure there's other channels I could apply to. Like, how many more times do you need to have freaking Star Wars on TNT and TBS? Those those channels lost their identities outside of like their TV shows that they syndicate. Uh, I think we are going to see a point. Or how about all the movies that are on there on these channels and they're friggin' censored. I think people tire of the censoring or the fact that not everyone wants to see the same Adam Sandler movie again or see the same crappy romantic film over and over again. That might work in the short term, but in the long term, are you really getting people to return to your to your networks? TBS and TNT are trying to make themselves look like the 90s again or like the 2000s with with these various 90s and 2000s films or even trying to get some older content back. It, I, I don't think it's really working, if you want my opinion on it. But yeah, ESPN, I mean, sure they get ratings for their Monday Night Football, but is it enough to justify what is going on with the network? I think people are tired of the network. I think people are just tired of cable in general. And maybe we get to that point where yeah, maybe we might reach that point where streaming is the only way you go. That that might be something people don't want to hear, but you know what? If this is how we watch football, it's going to happen. It's it will happen and millions are still hooked on the football. Probably the probably still the biggest sport in all of the United States in terms of ratings, in terms of people viewing it altogether. I would say NBA second, MLB third, and NHL fourth. I mean, NHL is going to be struggling a little bit this year with... But I, I think with the NHL deal to be back on Disney channels of ESPN and uh, ABC next year... I think this will definitely boost ESPN a little bit. I don't think it will stop the bleeding, though, of the cable subscription losses. But it would be nice to see them try to get back to their old days again and try and have some good coverage of various sports that aren't basketball and football. I mean, they're pretty much complete... The only thing I miss on is probably some NASCAR. Because you, you look at some of their older stuff with NASCAR, and it's amazing uh, that they that was like one of their big products back in like the start of the 80s. It was that. It was a little bit of college basketball. I think they had the NBA for like a couple of years as well. Football, they've had full-time since 97. But they've been airing NFL stuff since '87. It's, I don't know if, it, like I said, I don't know if it'll give them a big boost, but 
but I don't think it will stop the bleeding of their subscription losses. Actually, there was a lot of stuff going on with like the NFL. Plenty of free agency signings. You got guys like like Andy Dalton going to Chicago, Kenny Galladay going to the New York Giants, the Corey Davis. Like Tennessee's actually cleaning up house a little bit. So there's some. They're definitely trying to probably get some money out of all this, save up money for in the salary cap. Maybe they look for some big guys to compliment uh, Ryan Tannehill. Maybe they think some younger guys in the draft will help. Kenny Galladay, a big weapon for Daniel Jones. Corey Davis could be something that the Jets could use. Uh, big threat, potentially. Uh, Antonio Brown is an, is an idea for Russell Wilson. He wants to see uh, Seattle sign him. I'm not sure he's worth the headache, even though he won a Super Bowl. He only won last year's Super Bowl. But it's just... The more you see some of this stuff, it's just... You know, I wonder if Seattle is willing to get rid of, of Wilson. I wonder if they are willing to do that. Or if it's just, like, hogwash that... That's meant to be like a ratings, attention-seeking type of situation. But definitely the big thing right now, very quickly moving on, is is the college basketball round, March Madness. So it has been a surreal season altogether, and to see and to see teams. Oh, damn! USC upset Kansas. I kind of thought Kansas would be be good to to go on to like the Sweet 16. But some of the big shockers include teams like Oregon beating Iowa, Oregon State defeating uh, Oklahoma State. And this is second round stuff, actually, mind you. Probably the big one being Oral Roberts, a 15 ranked team beating Florida, seven ranked. Some people probably getting frustrated about Syracuse uh, winning against West Virginia. Another time where a 10th seed or or lower with, uh, with, with Syracuse. Five years ago, they were in the Final Four with a pretty weak team altogether. I'm surprised people consider 16 and 8 to be, to be bad. That's pretty reasonable. Loyola, Chicago, I mean, I think people shouldn't sleep on this team. I mean, this team is for real. If what they did a few years ago is any indication, I mean, we should be taking this team a lot more seriously. And I believe Sister Jean is still alive, if I remember. She's like 101 years old. <laughs> like, she was like the highlight of... Uh, she was the highlight of of Loyola during that Cinderella run they had. I think they lost to Michigan, I believe, in the Final Four. But looking at some stuff from, like, the first round, like ACU beating Texas, Ohio being a shock, beating Virginia, Maryland doing okay against, you know, Connecticut. What else? Uh, What else? 
trying to, I'm just looking at all the games, looking at the the Friday night games. Nothing really. I mean, Rutgers beating Clemson. That, that North Texas beating Purdue. The Oral Roberts in the first round beating uh, Ohio State. Like, I, was, I mean that, but yeah, keep your eye on Oral Roberts. Maybe they might surprise more people next week. As always, one of the big complaints is you know being in upstate New York. You know, watching Syracuse play is something that I always hate about college basketball. It's these late night games, especially for being on the East Coast, when those games start at like 9.50 at fucking night. That's one thing that always bothered me about college basketball. And that their freaking national championship is always on Monday night at 9 o'clock at night. Can't we have a game? Can't we just have something for sports that follows like the NFL molding? Can't we have something for like television where games start at like seven o'clock at night, seven thirty? Can we do something like that? I I feel like. Or maybe we can call the games a bit smoothly. You don't need to call timeout, TV timeouts every 30 freaking seconds within a five-minute stretch just so you can air commercials. Can we just have a smooth TV experience? And for God's sake, can we not have the refs dictate games altogether? Swear to God, some of these games that some games have been called, I would say fairly well. Can't deny that. But you also have those games where they call twenty plus fouls in in a, in a half. The worst experience in the last five ten years I've seen for a basketball game was the twenty seventeen national championship with uh, Gonzaga and uh, UNC. Now, for the most part, that first half was pretty decent. Maybe a little too many calls in some spots, but otherwise it was fine. That second half, however, it just seemed like they were calling a foul every like 20, 30 seconds. Like, just let these kids play. I know there's certain plays that, okay, obvious foul. But some of them fouls in in those game, and that game was ticky-tacky. And same thing applies right now. It's like some of the stuff is ticky-tacky. I say for some of the games I've seen, they've done pretty well, but... Like, there's no need to call every single little thing that occurs. That's just my take. I just wish, I just wish these networks would understand the issue of people that have to get up in the morning to work at like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I wish they would consider looking at how the East Coast is, and that's been something. Some announcers have ranted about not just not college basketball, but there was like a there was a video I seen that was called I think announcers getting angry, and it was a hockey game. I think it was a Stanley Cup playoffs where where a game 
was starting at like 10 o'clock at night and it was almost midnight. Like that, That's one thing I, I wonder if these networks realize. Do, do they realize they drive viewers away? Especially kids who want to watch this stuff. You got to find a way to to get kids to watch watch these games. They can't. These kids have to get up pretty early in the morning to some do to catch a bus to go to school. And school is always starting at like eight o'clock for for most places. Can't we make it a point to have these games? Like I said, seven o'clock, seven thirty at night. Can't we do that for college basketball? Can't we get a lot of people to push this initiative to start having these games early? Same thing with the NBA, too. Like, let's not have 9 o'clock NBA final games. Let's actually have, like, 7.30, 8 o'clock games. MLB, I, I, I know they've been trying, but one of the, but sometimes it's on them. Sometimes it's on these games that take forever like I was just thinking with like the Houston LA Dodger World Series. I was looking at some of those games as I was looking up some stuff like 5-hour game that took like 10 innings, I think, 10-11 innings. Like I was just shocked. I think my grandfather was watching the game and he was just he he watched it all the way. Like I was like, okay, especially early on in the game, it's like this game's going to be over probably pretty soon. And I see it's become a ball game it's like okay this this could still be interesting and it's like this game is tied up and this game's going on forever uh it's just flabbergasted that, like some of those games took like four or five hours and MLB definitely has a problem with having games go over three hours I think the interest just wanes as time goes on and people just you know, they, their mind just goes all static, and it's like, I, I want to find something else. I can't keep watching. Or they just simply go to bed if it's a night game. Can we, ju- can we just have some schedules that cater to the East Coast and find a way to make it easy for them, and that way also accessible for, like, the West Coast so they can watch these games all together at the same time? Can't we do that, please? I'm begging, please, let's have a game. Let's have the national championship at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. That way, it's over at like ten thirty, eleven o'clock, ten o'clock. Can we do that, please? And people can watch. Do something like the Super Bowl, please. Let's do something like the Super Bowl. Ah. <sighs> Very quick thing with uh, movies. Uh, as I said in the opening, uh, Los Angeles has opened up its movie theaters. Raya and the Last Dragon led the way again. Tom and Jerry was second. And there was a movie called The Courier with Benedict Cumberbatch leading and in, getting into the top five. So, yeah. I don't know what else really to uh, bring up. I mean, it's like, I, I want to be a little more excited because the fact that we're seeing, you know, some reasonable box office numbers. Granted, it, $5 million is nothing to sneeze at, but still, 
it's something. And it's, a, and it's a potential sign that things could be getting better. Potentially. But supposedly there's like a new variant of like the COVID-19 virus in, I believe, Brazil, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. So, I don't know if it's something that can be stopped. I do not know, but... Man, there's always something that holds holds the world back a little bit. But if they can find a way to make sure it doesn't spread quickly, then hopefully we can continue the recovery and be fully good by by the summer, if not fall. Which is funny because you know, quickly with the sp- with local sports, starting to see stuff like soccer, field hockey, you know, from having, you know, nieces and nephews, they're playing, they're playing some of the fall sports. I wonder how much that pisses off these coaches at these high schools. Like, it's gotta be bothersome. I know they're trying to recuperate and get a lost season back, recover it all, but I mean, I mean that creates a huge issue when you have. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if if they're doing spring sports or not, but I mean, you know, my, you know, it's just when I think of high school sports, at least when I was around, uh, our numbers kept dwindling down and down in terms of of, of sports. Like our numbers for football weren't all that great. Uh, both soccer teams, girls and guys, were pretty good sized. Although with the girls' soccer, they were definitely getting some um, ninth graders into the mix. Golf was pretty bad. I don't know how many you need to form a team of high school golf, but the numbers were never good. I remember at one point cross country was usually pretty good and they had like reasonable reasonable teams. But I think by the time I graduated it was it was just a huge mess. I think my final I think my senior year, cross country only had like six, seven people. That that's pretty bad. Like and not all their runners were were ready for that for cross country. Some of them didn't seem prepped, if I remember correctly. Um, our numbers, I think, kept dwindling for basketball, volleyball definitely dwindled down. I think wrestling kind of dwindled, softball dwindled. Uh, Track and field definitely dwindled a little bit, but not to where it was like a crisis. There were definitely a decent amount of people for baseball. That's what I remember, at least. I don't know what it's like ten years later, but but we'll probably look, probably have to look and see. But seen some pretty good teams out of the teams that I've seen my nieces play in. You know, they they're, they're pretty good for. For being uh, eighth, ninth graders, but yeah, 
Oh, just a quick thing with um, very quick off-topic thing. <laughs> so, don't got much else really to go into, but let's dig deep into the video games. So, this this one actually has me a little excited. I'm actually a little excited for this, along with uh, last week's thing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But a brand new Life is Strange game coming out in September. Life is Strange True Colors. Like the trailer was put up earlier last week, and it looks like a gorgeous trailer in terms of the graphics and the right kind of audio for it, and it gives you your story ideas pretty quickly. So, Life is Strange, just uh, very quickly, uh, is a series that's been around since the start of 2015. It was a game that, according to the original game's developer, Don't Nod Entertainment, it was meant to be one game only, and it surprised it surprised them that many people liked it. It stunned them because it, I think, look from playing the game over the last couple of years, uh, it's a well-thought game. It does point-and-click aspects very well. Graphics are a little rough in terms of the character modeling, but it's still fun to go through the story and the audio... Like, this is one of the great examples of using the audio to perfection. Especially the music, and it was that, that guitar-driven stuff and the indie-based type of bands that they had playing songs throughout it. Like, there, it gets sappy at points. And it provided some really intense moments with the gameplay. Like, especially at the end of Episode 2 in the first game. And since then, it's grown into a franchise. It's gotten a prequel, a sequel, a demo to showcase what the sequel would be like. And so now comes this new one. You play as this um, Asian girl, Alex Chen. And one thing I like about this series is that it, it does diversity pretty well. And it doesn't feel forced. Like it feels like it's it's worked into the story well, and it's not spoon fed and being like, oh, we have this specific type of person. Like, like they go out of their way. The developers go out of their way to to make the diversity feel warranted and not forced. So Alex goes to a new town called Haven and reunites with her brother Gabe. Unfortunately, things go... Something happens where uh, Gabe is dead. He's And Alex wants to figure out what happened. So, it's, so looking at it, it's kind of similar to the first game. Uh, there's parts in that game where you are investigating a missing, missing girl. And things get really intense late in the game. Regarding the disappearance. Uh, So. The thing with Life is Strange. Is that they've had supernatural abilities. For their characters. The first game involved. uh, Time travel. Rewinding time. 
the second game involved levitation at least some form of levitation and the power could be pretty severe uh, this one involves emotion Alex can read into people's emotions and sometimes it can get pretty bad so I think they're finding ways to to stay unique and not only stay unique but stay fresh something that they're doing pretty good and they're not forcing a sequel every every year or so like they're taking their time to to like to get these games fleshed out and developed quite well because the first game was at the start of 2015 um second game 2018 in the fall and this new one coming out September 10th that that's pretty good and uh, other than that the the prequel coming out uh, in the fall of 2017 but still three major releases in six years that's that's very reasonable so this game is going to come out for PlayStation 4 PlayStation 5 it's coming out also for um, for Xbox Series S and X along with the One. Uh, Stadia, I believe, is getting it, and 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 PC. And there's some additional stuff they're going to do. And I believe it involves a character from the prequel before the storm. That's what it looked like on the Ultimate Edition that I saw. It's going to involve some one of those before the storm characters being at a radio station and doing certain things. So the fact that they're doing some extra content is pretty pretty reasonable. But not only are they doing that, but they're also doing remasters of the first game and before the storm. So before I before I get into those, um, this True Colors game is going to come out developed by uh, Deck Nine Games, who made Before the Storm. And they actually were called Idle Minds, who made some PlayStation games like Cool Borders 3 and 4, uh, Rallycross 2. Like, they worked on some of the some of the extreme sports stuff for uh, for Sony. They also worked on some Ratchet and Clank and like a couple other games, but they're also going to be responsible for developing those two remasters of Life is Strange. I'm not sure if uh, "remaster" is the right word for it, though, as I think that what they're trying to do—they're cleaning up the visuals and doing bigger and better motion capture. Which I don't blame them really, because when 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 the first game came out, it was for PS4 and Xbox One and computers, but it was also released for uh, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. It was also, I believe, on iOS as well. So I'm not sure what their I I I, I believe the first game had a different engine compared to. Uh, Compared to, compared to two, 
I think it's called the Unity Engine. Uh, there's an Unreal Engine and a Unity Engine. I want to see because there's a lot of there's a lot of engines for it. There's a lot of engines, and, and by the way, I mean the Life is Strange series to me. I mean that they do a really good use of uh, of uh, of doing better gameplay, better story compared to games from uh, from Telltale. Like Telltale, I mean I like what they've done in terms of stories, but. Just their their games became very uh, cookie cutter, especially after especially after uh, after The Walking Dead came out. Okay, Unreal Engine was the first Life is Strange game, so I always get that confused a little bit because there's Unreal there's Unreal Engine and there's Unity Engine. So who developed Unreal Engine? What's that? Epic Games. So, that's actually not a bad one. Never played the Unreal games, by the way. I hear they're pretty good first-person shooters, but never really... uh... Okay, here we are. Unreal Engine games. Let's see. They've been using a number of engines. Pretty similar to... uh... Pretty similar to to what id software's done over the last uh, 25 30 years using their engines to uh, to to showcase you know the capabilities of of PC a little bit oops looks like I overshot it so probably unreal engine 3 where are you as a before i end my thoughts on life is strange where the hell are you? Okay, that just the first game. I just want to look a couple more things, and after that, I'll definitely uh, move on to some my thoughts on some on some favorite cartoon games. Because that's that's actually been something I wanted to talk about over the last couple of weeks, especially in lieu of. All the stuff with like the Pepe Le Pew stuff, and this is actually something I wanted. It's something I've wanted to uh, talk about for a while. Okay, so okay, yep, Life is Strange Two used the Unreal Engine Four, so that's actually I want to see if just just for just for giggles, see hmm, maybe a different engine. I don't know for True Colors, but. The unreal thing about about Looney Tunes, I was just thinking of, was when I was before uh, before I got really into talking about the whole Pepe thing a couple of weeks ago. The amount of video games that were made using the Looney Tunes license. So I figured talk about some favorite you know licensed cartoon games. You know, on NES, I mean, there were some really good Capcom games that were based on Disney properties. There were a number of them. Like, DuckTales. Honestly, that might be the best Disney game on the NES. 
DuckTales is a platformer and it's well done graphically. The soundtrack is phenomenal. Like the gameplay is well made. Like it's similar to Mega Man in some spots, but you also have some pretty unique stuff for the game. You're basically trying to be the richest duck in the world. <laughs> Moneybag Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> But definitely smarter than most smarties. <laughs> um, really fun game on the NES. It's also part of the Disney Afternoon Collection that came out for PS4 and uh, Xbox One. Oh shoot! I forgot to mention the the remastering things for uh, Life is Strange. Those are going to be on PS4 and uh, Xbox One, Stadia, and computers. But one thing that strikes me as being a weird omission is the Switch. That's that that stuff should be for the Switch. Give it a shot. They should Square Enix should give it a shot, and Capcom should be putting Disney Afternoon Collection on the Switch as well. Especially considering these were the NES games, and these were when Nintendo had the biggest console in the late 80s and early 90s. DuckTales, I mean, really fun. Uh, Sequel, not as good as the first, but it's still fun enough. A little improvement in the graphics. I actually like the the soundtrack to the game. It's definitely given some thought. Um, Definitely some trying to feel a little more advanced with some gameplay elements, some mechanics that you have to use, and items you have to upgrade. Like, pretty advanced stuff for an 8-bit game, but released really late in the NES. This is Lifespan in mid-1993. Game goes for a lot of money. So that's the one thing I'll say. Uh, Chippendale. Uh, Here's the funny... Here's the thing. I do remember watching Chippendale and DuckTales, but I don't remember them, really. And I think that's primarily because I grew up on cartoons on Nickelodeon early on in my life, and you know later on with Cartoon Network. So Disney was not really my type of thing for watching half-hour cartoons. Movies, yes. Their shows, not really. Maybe there might be one or two that I probably watched a bit of, but other than that, I don't, I don't remember much. But Chippendale definitely has some stuff going for a two-player co-op. Uh, fun little graphics. Uh, a little more quantity in its uh, music selection. I'm surprised it didn't go to the Game Boy. I Because a lot of these uh, Disney Capcom games made it to the portable, and I don't know, maybe just the mechanics wouldn't have worked, because they it really is fleshed out to what a chipmunk could do, given the circumstances of how small they are, and the, the level design is pretty clever. Uh, I wish I could say that with the sequel, but it's not... I don't, I don't want to say it's rushed out, but it definitely feels... Definitely feels like it needed a little more time to cook, uh, but the graphics are phenomenal. Like really f- fantastic use of color, with given the NES's color palette not being the greatest, but still very doable. Um, 
I like some of the I like some of the music selection, but not as good as the first. Um, just the gameplay, rinse and repeat stuff. I I was not all that impressed with it compared to um, the original. Uh, if you're looking to get it, get it on Disney Afternoon because, like Ducktales Two, very expensive to get, and it's one of those games that will cost you over a couple hundred dollars. No joke. I would I would just emulate it if if you're not comfortable with Disney Afternoon Collection. Uh, Darkwing Duck, uh, that was actually pretty good. Uh, it plays like a Mega Man game, but it's also got some really nice graphics. I like the sense of adventure in its music, and it's just the the gases definitely definitely make the gameplay stand out a little more, and and just all together with the licenses all together, they 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 Capcom used the license really well and made the gameplay feel like it could stand on its own. Uh, Tailspin was probably the weakest game of the bunch as far as that Disney Afternoon Collection goes. I like that it's actually a shooter where you fly Baloo the Bear's um, Sea Duck and you are collect, you know, collecting packages, uh, money, and you get upgrades that you have to spend money on to get stuff like better better weaponry, better speed. But unfortunately, that stuff is way too pricey. The ability to do diagonal shots is pretty cool. And you can turn your plane around to find to collect packages you might have missed. But it's marred by some pretty lazy level design at times. Uh, times where the enemy can be really cheap. And you better hope you have those upgrades you have the sea duck fully upgraded by the time you reach like the halfway point of the game. As far as other NES cartoon license stuff, I mean, as much as I like those Capcom stuff, I mean, Ninja Turtles, I would say those are really good games uh, for the most part, at least two and three. The original game, it's enjoyable, but it's not not something I would go out of my way to recommend. It is a very brutal game. Um, and honestly, it's going to be one of those games I will be satisfied. I'll be happy with... You know, I play through it, try to make, try my best, but we'll never beat it. That's just how I feel about it. Um, Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, really fun. Uh, I, you know, it's my favorite of the Ninja Turtle games from the 80s and 90s. Always had a lot of fun with playing that. Uh, Ninja Turtles 3 Manhattan Project this would be my favorite if if it wasn't for the health pickups being very rare in the game. Because it had everything. It had f- excellent graphics. The soundtrack, each track got better and better, especially from like stage 4 and up. Like, every soundtrack was like like, mm that good. And the gameplay, you know, very cookie-cutter, but it was still satisfying. And to see these various enemy types and beating up on a number of bosses that you that you saw from the cartoon, it was just... It was so good. 
but that but the health pickups you don't see your first health pickup until halfway through the third level of the game. That to me was always bothersome. But yeah, I mean, really fun game. I've tried Tournament Fighters uh, via emulation. It's not a bad game. I actually played a Super Nintendo one, and that was that was a lot of fun. That one, that one, that might be that that might be the best of that of that trio that came out on NES, Genesis, and Super NES. As far as other licensed stuff, um, I think the, the Tiny Toon Adventure games. Those were those were really those were really really good. Uh, what's funny is when the show was brand new, they actually mocked uh, Super Mario Brothers, uh, called Super Pluckio Brothers, where you save Princess Loon. <laughs> I believe Dizzy Devils like Bowser or something. <laughs> it's not just a game. <laughs> Actually, that was actually pretty, pretty funny. And that was like in its first season, and the the game didn't come out until I think like Christmas time '91. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, great great parody of um, of Super Mario Brothers three. It it's pretty short actually, but once I mean, once you get to know levels, it's pretty short. Um, he plays Buster Bunny, and he's basically like Mario a little bit. And the other characters have other stuff that they can do. Um, Plucky can fly like uh, Raccoon Mario. Uh, Dizzy, Dizzy has like a spin attack that he can do. I think that's probably the only unique thing out of that game as far as playing as the characters. And Furball, I believe he was kind of like Frog Mario a little bit, but he can cling on the walls and stuff. It made certain... Whoever you pick made either the levels easier or a little more difficult. It's comprised of like 20 levels. Not not 20 levels, actually. uh, Six areas. The first four levels have like three three acts each in it. Kind of like kind of like Sonic the Hedgehog a little bit. That was a lot of fun. The graphics were real nice. The audio was excellent. Controls worked real well. Um, maybe cheap in a couple spots, but otherwise I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Cartoon Workshop, I, I, that was one thing I liked about the show, is that they were able to do stuff that, you know, about like making a cartoon and the cartoon physics. Like, if you look down, you'll fall. That was actually done in one episode. So the ability to do these cartoons, to, to make a cartoon, is actually pretty cool. The only thing I would complain about is not having battery for it, a battery backup, and uh, not having a lot of not having the shows, most of the shows cast in it. I think it's like six characters, and that was it. But it's got some cool ideas. I mean, some fun little animations. Graphics may be a little bit rough, but was, I don't, they were they were they were nice to see. And the audio, same thing, a little rough in some spots, but it was still nice. Uh, Tiny Tin Adventures Two, I thought was pretty 
I thought it was good. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Bart's Nightmare on Super Nintendo. Like the mini games and all that. Uh, but this one's a little doesn't go overboard in how many they have though it is a bit short once you know what you're doing it is pretty difficult in a couple spots uh, graphics are graphics are pretty nice for an early 93 game the audio eh, not as good but I liked a couple of the tunes that they had in it it's nice to play some characters like like furball and uh, you actually get to play as Babs Bunny a little bit for one of the mini games. So it was nice to see some of the characters get get a little bit of love in terms of playing them. That's something, you know. That that that's actually one of the regrets I'll have is not finding uh, for Sega Genesis Acme All Stars because you could play as basically most of the cast. With the basketball and the, and the soccer stuff, it that's actually one of the great things about about that game. Uh, but yeah, actually, just speaking of Bart's Nightmare and The Simpsons, I don't think the Simpson games are that horrible. But would they be my favorites? No. If I were to say my favorite Simpson games, I would say Bart's Nightmare. Because I like the concept of it. I like the mini-game ideas. But my favorite Simpson game might be... I would say Hit and Run. Which came out for like PS2, Xbox, GameCube. game's a lot of fun. It's a GTA clone. It's a little repetitive in some spots. But it, you know, it's got some cool stuff to do. Stuff unique to each level. It's got multiplayer. It's got bonuses, little secrets and easter eggs. It like it's the it's a game for Simpson fans. Like I mean this is this was the ultimate treat and tribute for for Simpson fans. I think the Simpsons game comes pretty close, but other than that, eh, not much else really I would say for favorite Simpson games. I'm trying to think of other other licensed games. Just give me a second. Trying to think of other ones, but for NES, nothing else that comes to my attention. I mean, there was Ren and Stimpy Buckaroos, but that game was kind of terrible. I would I tried that on an emulator, I think like years ago. I don't I don't know what I was doing, which is funny because as far as like this isn't a cartoon, but I could get pretty decent at Wayne's World on NES on emulator. Now that game's not really all that good either, but I I could actually get a couple levels in. Trying to think of other like cartoon stuff like like I know there's uh, there's Little Nemo Dream Master. I hear it's getting a rear hear it's getting like a new game. And that property is public domain actually, so that's so that's actually real nice. Uh Mickey Mouse. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not a fan of Mickey Mouse. I I prefer I prefer Donald Duck or but or, or Goofy for that matter. But I heard the I heard the Sega Donald Duck games are pretty good. But Castle Illusion, I mean, it's the real deal. Especially if you play, regardless of what version you're playing, it's it's a blast playing. You know the original Genesis version. Uh, 
what else? Uh, the Game Gear version. That game is really fun. If you had a reason to get into Game Gear early on, that that was fun because the graphics are real nice. It's got that Disney look. I'm not huge on the audio of it compared to the Genesis version, but it's reasonable given the hardware. And the gameplay has a Chippendale feel to it. Where you th- can throw stuff, but you also can hit things with your gluteus maximus. Your butt. So there was a there was a lot of cool things with, with uh, Castle Illusion. Um, Aladdin. Absolutely a must-have for the Genesis. I've played the Super Nintendo version. Not sure I would put it as a must-have, but definitely a game I would play. Both games are played differently, but they're pretty fun altogether. Uh, really fun graphics for both sides. Great use of the audio chips for both systems. I like the sword gameplay aspect of the Genesis version over the Super NES version. Both have their share of difficulty issues, though the Super Nintendo version is a bit on the easier side. Lion King, I think, is really fun. Uh, I'd say the Genesis is the better version because it doesn't have collision detection issues in a couple spots like the Super Nintendo version does. If it didn't have that on Super Nintendo, I would say both games are pretty equal. Um, Really, really beautiful graphics and just fun gameplay altogether. Uh, The audio is utilized very well for both systems, especially with the music for both versions, but the voicing on the Genesis version is very good. Like When used right, the Genesis voice capabilities could be used and heard clearly compared to other compared to other offerings. I'm trying to think of other licensed stuff like continue with like the Tiny Toon stuff. Buster Bust Loose is a nice, fun way to be like the show. Uh, Buster's Hidden Treasure on Genesis plays is a great Sonic the Hedgehog clone. Uh, the sport offerings of them are pretty good. Uh, Acme All-Stars, I love that they have an assortment of various sports. And the competition stuff uh, for for Wild and Wacky Sports on Super Nintendo, um, it's basically track and field, but with a uh, cartoon twist. Pretty good, though I would say the edge goes to uh, Acme All-Stars. Animaniacs, actually, I was just thinking... The Genesis version, that's a must-have. It's a, it's fun. Gra- it's got some really good graphics. I love the audio that is used for it. Uh, the parodies are phenomenal. I don't care much for the show, but this this game, I love it. it it's it's better than the 16-bit Tiny Toon games. Uh, Toy Story, it just really pushes the 16-bit era to its limits. It really does an amazing job of you know following the movie, although it does take some liberties and you know multiple other stuff. I mean, I don't know what else really. I would like to do more of these, like do like another favorite license game stuff, because the, the eight and sixteen bit stuff that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because I definitely remember playing some other license stuff. For others, um, probably be not as much in quantity that I'll talk about, but I would definitely love to talk about 
you know, stuff that I played that I grew up on, like Hercules and Toy Story 2. I'd love to do that at some point, but... Uh, 3DS turning 10 in a few days, actually. Uh, four days, actually, here in the States. So, 3DS was Nintendo's successor for their line of handhelds. It was coming off of the huge success of the original DS. And so their follow-up came out early on in 2011. It came out in February in Japan. Didn't come out until the end of March here in the States and I believe in Europe as well. So this was a system that when it came out was not a huge hit from the get-go. And I think a lot of it had to do with the pricing. Because this was a $250 system. And if you look at the graphical capabilities of the 3DS, uh, not sure I would see it as a reason to be $250. And I don't think many people like using the 3D capabilities either. What saved it was cutting it to like 180 I don't think any of their uh, systems, their portables to be exact, uh, since uh, I don't think any of them ever reached two hundred dollars. I don't think any of them ever did. Maybe maybe one of the DS lines did, but if that was the case, it was probably some rare, rare version. So it so that did pretty well, and it 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 held on for like a good six years or so, and then the last few years, it was doing what Nintendo projected them to do, but just many people were not getting into it. Developers were not making games for it in mass quantity like the DS did. The support was kind of eh, even though it did get... I think it got like, what, like 800, 900 titles, I think. It had eShop, multiple stuff. I think I think the 3DS legacy will be a little complicated, but at the same time, I think it'll get some deserved love out of it. I don't have the greatest experience of it. Only in the last few years have I gotten to experience the 3DS for what it is in playing some of the games for it and playing some backwards compatibility stuff with DS games. So, I mean, from what I play it, it's good. Uh, It's not something I would pick over, like, the original Game Boy, but there's some fun stuff to be had. I probably would play this over the original, over the Game Boy Advance. Multiple variants, uh, 2DS, 2DS XL, 3DS XL, new 3DS. Like, there were a lot of variations of it. I think only a couple games utilized the new 3DS. I think Super Nintendo can only be done on new 3DS. So, I don't know. It's a, I mean, it's a good system. You know, I, I, I hope people discover it a little more and maybe try more than just the Nintendo games and the role-playing games. You know, there's, there's a lot more to Nintendo handhelds than, than those two types of offerings. So this last thing I'll talk about is a rumor that surfaced in the last 24 hours. 
but I see people flipping out and taking it as if it's the truth. But we live in an age with digital, and gaming is no different. Digital has been big for gaming since, I would say, 04, 05, when Steam came about. Xbox 360 was really the first system to offer digital gaming as a whole. Like, really market the digital market. PS3 followed suit. The Wii did as well with their offerings. And so, there was also stuff for like the DS, the PSP. And really, every console since has had like a digital market. So, from a website called The Gamer, that's that's what it's called, thegamer.com. They also have a YouTube channel as well, but supposedly, there's a rumor floating around that Sony is looking to shut down their storefronts of the PlayStation 3, PSP, and PlayStation Vita. And people are flipping out about it. And I mean, I can see why a little bit, because... I mean, there's some stuff that you cannot get on other storefronts. You just can't. And there's some stuff that'll, that you will never experience when they get shut down. And not to mention um, a lot of the DLCs and you know microtransaction stuff that is on those stores that you can't get one if they shut if they were to shut down but it's just a rumor and people are acting like this is the truth there was not even a a, a named source for any of this now i can see the case with the ps3 it's been around for 14 years the ds and wii shut their stores off after 12 13 years respectively so this isn't something new but I think with the way the PS3 was like it was it pushed for some indie stuff it pushed for smaller games and I would say the same thing with the 360 they pushed for smaller games but there have always been issues with stuff like licensing legality issues and multiple other factors like copyright limbo companies dying out so it's not not like it's an issue with Sony only so yeah uh, PSP that's the part I don't get because PSP storefront has been shut down for almost five years if not a little over five years or so so that makes no sense I mean I know you can purchase games on purchase PSP games on the Vita and PS3, but that's not a storefront. Unless people are aware you can buy PSP games. If that's what they're talking about, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell. And Vita, well, Vita died out. I mean, I know there's still some games coming out for it, but the Vita definitely has an interesting scenario because a lot of their games are digital only. I can't really think of a lot of physical releases for it. Supposedly, this stuff is shutting down in July for PS3 and PSP and Vita around the end of August. That's what supposedly it's happening. 
not really any like the the, the no no sources thing is definitely a bit of an of an eyebrow razor. So I mean, take it as you will, but I'd like to see what would happen next. I don't want to say this is this will be true or not, but if it is, then you better start thinking about looking at uh, other syst- looking at what games are on those systems, and figuring out what digital games you want, which ones you don't, which DLCs you want. So it's I mean, if that were the case, I'm sure Sony will talk about what the deal is with their dead systems. If they, I can see why people could be upset, but I think we need to wait and see until, wait and see what Sony has to say. If it's just a clickbait type of situation, then yeah, the gamer, like, this is a site I've never heard of. I've never heard about their YouTube videos either. So, it, I, I wouldn't believe anything yet. Let's let's wait and see. So with that, this has been episode 68 of Geeks and Jacks. So as I said, this podcast is on Anchor.fm, but you can also find this on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Head on down to those sites if you'd like to see some more Geeks and Jacks episodes. With over 60 episodes and counting. So with that, Ryan Sullivan saying, hope to hear you on, hope to, <laughs> yeah, I mess up my own, my own outro. <laughs> Ryan Sullivan for Geeks and Jocks, hope to hear you listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, stay healthy. Take care, everyone.